I'm fired up for this one. This is, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. But if I'm ever not fired up, you know, come and get me because I'm missing the point. I mean, there is so much good news to be fired up about. It was just kind of funny. Just thinking about how good God is, honestly. Uh, I saw a message on Facebook from an old friend who's moved out of state, used to be part of the church, and they said, oh, man, I listened to the message from Easter, and then they followed up, oh, listen to another one. It's so good after all these years to, to see you still fired up for Jesus. And it was like, oh, cool, that's great, man. I'm like, ah, but <laughs> if I'm not fired up for Jesus, like, that's on me, right? Like, we're going to be hanging out with Jesus for all eternity. Like, Jesus has more than enough to be fired up about. And, and Jesus is so good. He wants to reveal ourself, himself to us in such powerful, personal, and present ways. Like, well, the, as the word says, like, never be flagging, never be lacking in zeal for the Lord. Like, and, and I just take that as that's a promise from God. That if we'll just be poor in spirit and recognize we don't have it all together and we need him. And it's not like we're, you know, fired up and, and got it all together and, and every moment's great. No, it's just as we continue to just... Throw ourselves on God saying, I don't have it all together. I'm a mess without you. And God says, thank you. That's where I take over. <laughs> then I promise I'll be with you and continue to reveal myself to you all the way into eternity. And so, man, I got plenty for this life. <laughs> and that's just, it just kind of struck me as that fresh, like, encouragement for all of us. God's got plenty for this life. There's, like, get rid of anything in your mind that says, you're just going to start coasting with the status quo. That's hogwash. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God is going to blow your mind for eternity. So he's got plenty to keep you fired up for this life. It's just all it takes is that, that poor in spirit, meaning like, I don't have it together, Lord. I need you. And to continue to come to that throne of grace day after day. And there is, there is a promise from him that he has got plenty for us for this life to keep transforming us and filling us with the fire for him, the zeal for him, because he's that good. It's not about, oh, I just want to have fire for fire. No, he's that good and how real he wants to be. So I'm fired up because we're talking about important stuff here. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and as, as silly as it sounds, I'm gonna tr we're going to cover this in, in just one message. We've gone over it at times. There's been seven weeks that we've taken because it is breathtaking. It is worldview shaping. It, it should be status quo shattering. We're ha in a section of Scripture, and if you're new with us, we're right in the middle of an exploration of, a study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his visionary manifesto for the kind of life that is possible when we follow Jesus, when we become those fully devoted disciples, followers, everything we got. The kingdom of God, what does that mean? The king reigning in our lives as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. A little bit more and more each day, and sometimes a lot of it. It's a vision Jesus has, and we're right smack in the middle of it, and it's kind of interesting not coincidental that 
the center of Jesus' message is about prayer. I think that's on purpose, in a way. The center of our life should be prayer. Not in the heavy burden, here's your list, you need to make sure you're praying for all these things all day long. Although, let me say, if you have the grace for that and grow into the grace for being an intercessor for others, God bless that, the world needs that, the church needs that, the state needs that, get after it. (laughs) But the kind of prayer that is all day, every day, is where the Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. This is like breathing. Prayer in the Christian life is like breathing. It is just meant to be all day, every day, conversation with God. And that's the kind of mind-blowing reality that Jesus is going to teach here in the Lord's Prayer, which to think about that, and it's called the Lord's Prayer, I think it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer in the sense that he taught it, but let's be careful because we often have an insecurity mindset. It says, oh, well, all those things Jesus did, he did those because he's God. And we can miss so much of Jesus' own teaching for our lives when he's saying, no, I'm teaching you this. As a follower of me, this is the life that's possible for you. And prayer is one of those. This Lord's Prayer happened because the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what we see in the book of Luke. And right on the heels of that comes the Lord's Prayer where he says, pray then like this. So he's teaching them, this is how you get to talk to God. This is not for just me because I'm special and you're not. This is not for some elite Christian, some, you know, that, those upper-class Christians who have that special connection to God that's not you. Guess what? That doesn't exist in God's world. It exists in our world in our broken mindset, so we've got to get rid of it. <laughs> if, if we're even taught by Jesus himself that we get to pray and talk to God like he does, well, my goodness, then there's no one on this planet that we should look at and be like, well, they got that special prayer thing that's not for me. Jesus says, hey, here's my special prayer thing. It's for you. And so that's what we're getting into. It's so exciting. And sometimes let's not let familiarity breed kind of complacency. So I, I don't think I'm probably going to say a word today in the Lord's Prayer that in a sense is brand new. If you've been in the church a while, you should know the Lord's Prayer. It's, I believe it's like a sacrament, like communion. It's something that we should be regularly returning to and letting it be the filter of our lives, ultimately letting it be kind of the filter through which we live every moment in prayer. And I believe that's why, as Jesus taught this, it's not like a, a six-phrase, you know, nice, good prayer to memorize and then move on. I believe he's bringing up essentially like six areas of life, postures of our heart, images of God, ways to understand and know God from which we live and move and have our being and pray all the time. So the goal is to learn these things 
in some sense, these aspects of the nature of God. And then the goal is more and more that as we encounter them as God's nature, we become transformed to where they become a part of us so that we live from them in our ever-increasing prayer life, our ever-increasing conversation with God that just becomes more and more that prayer without ceasing that we're designed for. So let's get into the passage here. If you don't have one of these, you're welcome to run and grab one uh, from the connection cart. This is your party favor for the day. I downloaded it. It was 19 cents online, so I think it's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, it wasn't free. No, just kidding. So these, these are uh, prayer reflections on our genuine conversation with God that I want to encourage you to take with you. And this is something that we put into practice. And as we do that, it becomes just that natural conversation that we have with God throughout the day. So I'm going to jump to uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, 9 to 13. And so y- you can jump ahead one slide here. Here Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I'm actually going to call up my friend Jim and have him be ready to play a little guitar because as we were preparing this, my wife and I were talking together something that we've done before in the past and felt led to do again today as part of treating the Lord's Prayer as like a sacrament, a a sacred means through which God has created us to regularly commune with him. We're not just going to teach it today. More importantly, we're going to give an opportunity to experience it. Uh, So I'm going to give, in a sense, a brief Meditation on this on, on a single aspect, one phrase at a time. So there's six phrases, kind of almost like a devotional meditation on the, on the phrase, on God's word, the heart behind it, the image of God that is presented in it, the nature of God we're supposed to be seeing as we pray. And then I'm just going to give us a couple minutes of quiet with Jim playing a nice little uh, guitar in the background. And the encouragement will be, to interact with God right now on the spot in in quiet prayer around this aspect of the Lord's prayer and I'll kind of guide us when we get there as a couple with a couple kind of like prompts questions to uh, consider in prayer um, but it kind of reminds me of I was talking with uh, one of our our leaders good friend Toy on on Friday and it, uh, he just said something that was really cool when when someone wants to debate with you about God uh, <laughs> He was like, I have none of it. He's like, he's like, I don't need to defend God to you. How about let's do this? Let's just pray together, and you tell me at the end if God's real. And I was like, dude, I like that. I like that. Like, the, you know, it's like, yes, there's a place to argue the intellect about how God is real, and, and, and I do think you can, with the right training, you can go the, 
The, you can go toe-to-toe with the strongest intellects and philosophers in the world. God is that real and that good. But at the end of the day, you can know everything about Scripture, but if you haven't encountered the author of Scripture, there's really no point. And so I liked that mindset of just like, hey, let's, hey, let's check it out. If God's real, then if, pray with me. You know, let's find out. And if not, then, then fine. What would you lose? And that's, that's our heart here. That's the encounter of God heart. That's, that's what we're after. We want to encounter God. And so you're in church today. And so you've come expecting, I believe, hoping. That's the desire that we gather to encounter God. And so that happens in his word, it happens in the message, and it happens in prayer. And so if even if you're a little uncomfortable sitting in the quiet of the world or the quiet of, of the moment, that's okay. Press into that because I believe God wants to meet you. And it was very interesting, and, and my wife and I were talking last night, and I won't share too much because I think she might share it in a little bit, but the, think about how busy our world is. And it is so hard to find a quiet place. It's so hard to find a quiet space inside of us to slow down and, and make for that quiet space. And so when we do have those moments, I know I can feel it. It's like all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, it's like I can feel how things are rushing so fast. And it's like, it's okay, press through that. It might be uncomfortable at the beginning to, be, to sit quiet, but it's actually really important for, for the soul to be able to be with the Lord in that. Why does the Bible talk about like these quiet places, these still places? We opened the scripture this morning, opened the scripture talking about Psalm 23. What's the first thing he says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters, quiet places. There's a way to meet with God in the busyness. Yes, amen, because we live lots of our lives there. There's also a very important, powerful way to meet God in that quiet place, in that still place. So we're going to be doing that in a little bit. So this first phrase that Jesus says, our Father in heaven, and if you're following here in your, in your party favor, with each of these six phrases, just tried to break it down into some of these key aspects part of it because it's so familiar we can miss the true glory world changing paradigm shattering reality that Jesus is saying this is how the god of the universe wants you to talk to him every day in increasing measure in increasingly real let that blow our minds. It's, that is worth pondering in itself. The fact that God even wants to converse with us in a way that is, we know is increasingly real where he is powerful, present, and personal with us. And I know many of you in the room would, would die on that hill that you absolutely know God is real, he is good. He is powerful, personal, and present with you through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That is a miracle. And God's saying, and I want that to be a miracle for everyone, and then I want that miracle to just keep getting bigger and better. So that's what we're going after today. Our Father in heaven, the key image, and I say image on purpose because I believe a healthy way for us to understand how God's created us is 
It's like our soul is like a canvas. And on that canvas, we have images of God painted, whether we know it or not, whether we want to or not. Because God has created us with eternity on our hearts. He's created us in the image of God for relationship with him. So that's why across all, every tongue, tribe, and nation, across cultures, across times, everybody knows that God exists. There's not a culture that exists on the human planet except ours is trying to make it happen and say that God doesn't exist. That's the, that's the canvas of our soul, so to speak, that, that God created us to have a posture of openness towards him, relationship with him, and then through life, things get painted on that canvas of our soul to where we have an image of God or many images of God. Is God scary? Is God the taskmaster? Do you have to earn God's love? Do you have to perform? Is God gonna provide for you? Like these, that, That's what Jesus goes after, these very basic foundational images of God that are meant to Paint the canvas of our soul that we live from. Believing, knowing, encountering these things are true about God. And not the lies that the enemy tries to paint on the canvas of our soul. And he's trying. So if you wake up with anxiety and fear and dread, there is an image of God there on the soul that is a lie from the enemy and we all wrestle with these things and that's why this coming back over and over to Jesus coming back to the Father in prayer and letting the truths of what Jesus teaches shape and reshape or repaint the canvas of our souls understanding at the very core nature of who God is this first one is probably the key the fact that Jesus says it first, that God, the image that Jesus wants us to have in our minds is that God is our good father and we are his beloved children. This is the, think about what Jesus is doing, the fundamental beginning point of conversing with the God of the universe is that we would have a childlike heart like, like we're a little kid coming to that perfect parent that we wish we had. We come like that with a childlike heart that trusts that he is that good father who delights in you as a beloved child. It is nothing short of a theological revolution. Theological meaning an understanding of God that Jesus would say, the way I want you to start conversing with God is like this little child who knows you're delighted in by your good father. I mean, there's, there's hints of that in the Old Testament, but, but come on now. Like, remember the Holy of Holies? One person goes in there, and if there's anything wrong in their life, they drop dead. I mean, that's how, that's how holy God is. And that hasn't changed but Jesus. <laughs> and now through Jesus, he says, no, the, the starting place based on my life, death, and resurrection that is the perfection in your place is there's some new privileges coming. 
You get to come to God like I do. As a beloved child in whom he delights, to whom he delights to give everything. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, mark this one on your hearts. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's, your father. He didn't say it's my father's, obviously. He didn't abandon that. But in that moment when he's trying to teach us about the heart of God, he says, you got to take it personal. It's your father's, which means you got to take personal. I am a beloved child of God. That's my core, primary, first and foremost identity. Beloved child of God. By the grace of God through Jesus. And Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Another healthy translation is, it is your father's delight to give you everything in heaven. Come on now, you wake up in the morning and believe that, you're going to have a better day. So let's go to prayer right now. Just a couple minutes. Pondering these things, there's a couple verses if you want to read them, reread them, consider them, ponder them, meditate them on them. As the Word of God says, meditate just means to chew on. It's the opposite of the, the Eastern meditation, which is empty yourself of everything. Biblical meditation, which the word meditate is all over, the Psalms especially, it means to fill your mind with a truth. It means literally to chew on like a cow. That's where the word came from. Meditate on it. Chew on it. So you're supposed to chew on, fill your mind with the truth of God and chew on it. Think about it. Ponder it. Explore it. Let the Holy Spirit put it into you and show you how it's real into your life. So a big question to be asking, you could take these two questions and use them in our couple minutes here and out in your week. Are you pressing into encounter more of your identity of God or your, excuse me, your, you are not God. Your identity as God's beloved child in whom he delights. To the degree you get that, you're going to be wild for Jesus. That's, that is world changing. And so if you're not there, and to the degree you're not, keep just pressing in. It's not, oh, well, I guess I missed that revelation. I'm a loser. No, it's just press in for more. Press in, press in. And to the degree you know it, there's more. And the second question, and then from that identity, are you praying with hope and expectation of good things to come in your life because you know that God is your good heavenly father? These are just the opening lines of prayer. <laughs> Our Father. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll just take a couple minutes. Heavenly Father, our Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would be filling our heart, mind, and spirit right now and bringing revelation of the beauty and power of this truth that you are our Father, corporately and individually. And we are each, through Christ, your beloved children in whom 
you delight. Let's take a couple minutes and ponder these things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More revelation of our identity. Well, you just did something that <laughs> most people in our culture absolutely would kind of lose their minds. <laughs> so if you survived, that was a victory. All right? And more goodness coming. Hallowed be your name. Woo-wee. This is so cool the way Jesus does this. This is the Old Testament. God is holy. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we would not want to go into the Holy of Holies. Because he is perfect. And we would drop dead. Because we are not. There is still this awe and reverence of the absolute holiness of who God is. 
And there is a juxtaposition here that is intentional, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's perfect, it's mind-boggling, but that we are both, through Christ, God's beloved children in whom he delights and all of heaven is ours and he's giving us all these privileges that only Jesus deserves. And he is still the one who is holy, awesome, mighty, other. He is a consuming fire. And both are true. And so this second part, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, which just means holy, holy be your name. So this is that reality that God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only one. Now this is where it gets real. He's the only one worthy of awe, reverence, praise, honor, and glory in all that we say and do. So this is a, a motivation check. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Am I living for your glory today in everything that I say and do? Am I living from a place of awe and reverence to where in the right spot my, my knees tremble before you? I mean, you think of every time someone encountered God in the Bible, Many, many, many times they just drop to their feet because they are trembling in the holiness of God's presence, that he's perfect, he's powerful. Even John on the island of Patmos, this is John who laid back on Jesus' chest at the last summer. So there's that familiarity with God, which is appropriate he is the one who he called himself in the book of John, the beloved disciple. So when you write your memoir someday and you, you know, kind of name yourself the favorite one of God, that's healthy for you to think that in the sense of God's favor is so on your life. He, as, a, as a child, you are so beloved. He delights in you so much that you lay back on his chest. And yet, when John encountered the risen Jesus, he fell to his knees. He bowed down. He trembled in fear. So this is the healthy tension of our life. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So a big question for us to ponder these things is are we daily talking with God from a foundation of holy awe and reverence for who God is and out of that a zeal to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus in every little thing we do because there's a sense of, of holiness with us an awe, a reverence Every little thing I do has the opportunity to glorify God or not. Let's take a couple minutes. Let's ponder these things. Again, there's a couple verses to read, to meditate on, to think about. And you ask, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to show me right now? Let's take a couple minutes.
from our foundational identity Jesus moves us into living and praying with his authority the next phrase is unbelievable your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the foundational image that we need to have in our minds if we've got God is a good father, God is a good king. This next one is that God's will is that heaven would transform earth. That is God's will. Please don't pray the prayer if it's your will. God rarely, if ever, wants that to be a secret. That's why he's given us his word and the final revelation of his word is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. This is what his will looks like. And Jesus covers literally like every possible situation where we ask, what is God's will? I'll say almost. There's a tiny little area. Let's talk about that. But in general, the point is, look, Jesus is not wanting us to sit here like begging God, well, you know, if it's your will, I have no idea what that is, and maybe you care. He's telling you, come with the authority where you know God's will, and I'm telling you to come with my authority and command it into existence. I know that makes us uncomfortable, and it should, because if this wasn't Jesus' idea, this would be blasphemous. It is his idea, not yours, not mine. But let's get into this. A proper translation of this verse, a proper translation is... And it's missed in these typical translations. I don't know why. The biggest thing they miss, these are commands. Jesus, these are imperatives. Jesus teaches us in prayer to make commands. This is in the imperative. The, the correct translation is, arrive now, kingdom of my father. Come into being, will of my father. And check this out. As it is in heaven, so also on earth. They, it's flipped. I don't know what the heck they were doing in these English translations. They missed so much of the, the, the heart of like our whole <laughs> authority that Jesus gives us. And you can think about it. As it already is in heaven, to earth. That's the basis of prayer. As it already is in heaven, unleash on earth. Arrive now, kingdom of God. Come into being, will of my Father. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you're really nervous, he, Jesus said this lots of places. Look at Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have already received it, then it will be yours. And this is where he's talking about you can speak to the mountains when you believe and they will move. What does he mean that you already believe it? How do you already believe it? It hasn't happened yet. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And Jesus tells you, teaches you, the way you're supposed to pray is from heaven to earth with commands. You're not commanding God what to do. You're walking in the authority of Jesus and speaking to the spiritual warfare that exists, the spiritual atmosphere that is the world, 
and you are taking the authority of Jesus, just like Jesus, with the exception of the Garden of the Gethsemane and the cross, never begged God or asked. It was he knows God's will, and he declared it. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And then he says, and this is how I want you to pray also. So this is a process. You got to be careful with this in the sense of you don't go wild and just kind of crazy on it and just in the sense where there's no humility because you're going to pray this and what you pray doesn't always immediately happen. You're not Jesus yet. So have some humility with it and you don't rebuke other people for not praying in the same cool way you do. So lots of grace and humility for one another. What an invitation from Jesus to learn to pray like this. And even when we pray like this and it doesn't happen, that's because there's more of Jesus' authority to learn how to live in. We don't, need a, we don't have time for the whole teaching on that. But there's a growth process. But let's just make abundantly clear, as Jesus does, this is the authority that he wants us to learn to pray with. This is your prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. This is his, him responding to how he wants you to learn to pray. So let's go to prayer, pondering. Are you daily partnering with God to make faith-filled declarations and commands for God's will to be done? As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. Let's ponder these things. Jesus moves then from our identity and our authority to some of those daily battles. This next one, give us today our daily bread. What a huge concept, our daily bread. 
that God is our provider. Make no mistake, we have been called to be good and faithful stewards of our lives. Jesus teaches plenty on that. But Jesus calls us to live from this place. And ooh, in this world, come on, this is hard. To live from this place where we're not to stress and strive and be anxiously toiling about today and tomorrow and the next, but rather as a beloved child to rest and trust that God is the ultimate source and provider in our lives. And that he wants to take care of us. He loves to provide for us. Are we resting, trusting? I think in this man, it's like Jesus has the wisdom of what he knows the human struggle is. Daily is it about me striving and providing because I'm scared. Or is it being a faithful steward while resting and trusting that he will provide? There's a fantastic verse there if you want to read Luke 12, 22 to 32 about that. But let's take a minute and ponder these things. spiritual muscles stretching a bit that can be a good thing Jesus goes on to say forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors so the key image here is that God is the reconciler he reconciles relationships this is oh my goodness What a powerful daily cleanse. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Is that God wants us to bask in the freedom of both receiving his forgiveness and then being so filled up with that power, we're able to extend forgiveness freeing us from living in the the toxic slime of bitterness, anger, offense, and unforgiveness. So this is about freedom. 
This is about reconciliation with God and others. Shows the primacy of relationship on God's heart. That this is a daily spiritual inventory, a daily spiritual check. So the questions to ask, and there's scriptures in here that are good meditations. This is really about, are you living daily in the receiving from God and extending through Christ forgiveness? Or even maybe more pointedly, you, you get to check with the Holy Spirit. Am I living clean and free from the bondage of, of guilt and shame from life through receiving forgiveness? Like my wife likes to say, if we have guilt about our sin instead of gratitude for what Jesus has done, then we're exalting our sin above the Savior. So we don't make light of sin, we just make big of Jesus. He does not want his children as we bring it to the cross and ask forgiveness and trust in the sufficiency and effectiveness of Jesus. He does not want us carrying guilt and shame. Only the enemy does. So are we living with that freedom? And the more we live in that freedom, the more we become like Christ and then can live out this wild <laughs> command to forgive others. Even as Ephesians says, just as God in Christ forgave you, that's a powerful person. It's also a free person. Are you living clean and free from the bondage of anger, bitterness, and offense? The foundational way of doing that is through extending forgiveness. Let's ponder the receiving and giving of forgiveness.
And lastly, Jesus speaks to the reality of spiritual warfare (laughs) that exists in our daily life. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the key image of God is that God is our deliverer. Spiritual warfare is real. And we need to take the authority Christ gave us to pray, declare, believe for both protection and deliverance from the schemes of the evil one. It's not popular in our world, but it's the truth. I would argue the spiritual world is more real than the physical. Behind the scenes in the heavenlies, so to speak, is the eternal reality. One of Jesus' close apostles said it like this, be alert, be sober in our minds that the enemy, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He said that to the church. Just because we're children of God doesn't mean the enemy takes his sights off us. Actually, that means he's extra mad and we're in his target because we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and put into the kingdom of light as God's beloved children. So now we're his enemies, not just his slaves. And so that battle continues to the day we die, and we are called to be sober and then take authority in Christ's victory to be delivered from the evil one. So a question to ponder, are we living sober and alert to the enemy's temptations and schemes and then exercising our authority in Christ to pray for protection and deliverance? Let's ponder these things.
Dance a new dance.